Welcome to the Astro Guy Podcast. I'm not an expert, I'm an amateur like you. I'm here to learn and here to teach. So let's enjoy the ride together. Carpe Noctum, seize the night. Welcome to episode one of the Astro Guy podcast, the podcast for the amateur astronomer. Whether you're just starting out or a lifelong enthusiast, this is the astronomy podcast for you. I'm your host, Wayne Zool, and we're going to take a look at what's up in the skies this September. The naked eye planets are all putting on a show for us as the moon is in conjunction with four naked eye planets this month. A conjunction occurs when two or more objects appear near each other in the sky. However, the actual definition is that when two objects share the same right ascension, or RA, they are in conjunction. If you're not familiar with the term, think of right ascension as longitude, but on the celestial sphere. Conjunctions can be beautiful sights if the conditions are right. This past December, Jupiter and Saturn were in conjunction, appearing about one-fifth of a degree apart. For reference, the Moon appears to be about half a degree across. You may have seen stories about this online or in the news. Hopefully, you were able to witness the spectacle for yourself. On September 8th, the Moon and Mercury will be in conjunction. This happens just after sunset on the 8th and the pair will be separated by six degrees and will only be five degrees above the horizon. The easiest way to picture five degrees is using your right or left hand. Hold your pinky with your thumb and keep the other three fingers pointing straight out. Hold this at arm's length and the width of your three fingers represents about five degrees. In order to see this conjunction, you'll need a very clear western horizon. Spotting the one-day-old moon will be difficult, but binoculars will help. Magnitude zero Mercury will appear below and to the left of the thin crescent moon. A couple of hours later, the moon will be at perihelion, its closest point to the sun, at a distance of 1.0048 astronomical units, or AUs. One AU is equal to the average distance between the Earth and the Sun, about 93 million miles or 150 million kilometers. A day later, on September 9th, the Moon and Venus will be in conjunction, lying just over four degrees from each other in the western sky. Again, you'll want to look for this about 30 minutes after sunset. Venus appears as the brightest star in the sky. We know that it's a planet, not a star and you can distinguish the bright planets from bright stars as the planets don't twinkle, while the stars do. The Moon and Venus should fit in the same low-power binocular field and should be a treat to the naked eye as well. Not to be outdone, the gas giants, Jupiter and Saturn, get in on the action as well, both having conjunctions with the Moon. But on September 14th, Neptune will be at opposition. This means that Neptune is opposite of the Sun from the Earth. When Neptune is in opposition, it rises at sunset, is highest in the sky at midnight, and sets at sunrise. 
This is also when Neptune is closest to the Earth. However, Neptune is very faint and requires a telescope to be seen. Even with high magnification, it's difficult to see any details on the greenish-blue gas giant. Getting back to the easier naked eye spectacles, we find Saturn and the Moon in conjunction on the night of the 16th. The pair will be separated by just under 4 degrees and will be a beautiful spectacle. Bright Jupiter gets in on the action two nights later, with the Moon appearing about 4 degrees above Jupiter. Both of these conjunctions will be their best around 10 p.m., so you won't be trying to pick them out of the glow of sunset. Both of these evenings should provide you with beautiful telescopic views of the Moon, Jupiter, and Saturn. If you're looking at the Moon with a telescope, watch how different the details are along the Terminator, the line between light and dark on the Moon. Notice how the shadows change. It's fun to watch night after night. At 3.14 in the afternoon, Eastern Time, on September 22nd, the Moon crosses the celestial equator, heading into the Southern Hemisphere. Most places on Earth will experience 12 hours of daylight and 12 hours of darkness on the equinox. The equinox is the official beginning of autumn in the Northern Hemisphere, and spring in the Southern Hemisphere. For those of us in the Northern Hemisphere, the days will continue to get shorter. Not wanting to be left out, the last of the gas giants, actually the third of four, Uranus, gets in on the action with its own conjunction with the Moon. The pair will be separated by a little more than a degree, just over the width of two full moons, or the width of your index finger at arm's length. Because it will appear so near the Moon, Uranus is not visible unless you're using a telescope or binoculars. At around 3.30 in the morning on the 24th, the pair will be at their highest. The moon will be a couple of days past full, so even from dark skies, it would be virtually impossible to pick out Uranus. In the future, we'll devote at least one episode to Sir William Herschel, the discoverer of Uranus. On Sunday, September 26th, the moon will be at apogee, its furthest point from the Earth in its orbit. That's what's happening in the solar system in September. But now, let's take a look a little further out. Fortunately, September skies hold a bevy of delights for the backyard astronomer. Before I continue, I need to stress that unless you're familiar with the constellations and bright stars, using an app can help you find much of what we'll be talking about. Stellarium is free and has a lot of advanced features. SkyMap, and StarChart are both excellent apps and are easy to use. Mobile Observatory is free as well and has tons of great features. This is just the tip of the iceberg as to astronomy apps that are available. Consider downloading at least one. It will help you learn the sky and be a handy resource for you. Back to what's up. On mid-September evenings at 9 p.m., the summer triangle shines brightly overhead. Made up of the bright stars Deneb, Altair, and Vega, the Summer Triangle makes it easy to find Cygnus, Aquila, and Lyra. Just to the west of Lyra is the constellation Hercules. The bright globular cluster M13 is an easy object to pick out with a telescope or binoculars. To locate M13, find the keystone of Hercules, and the cluster lies about a third of the way from Eta Herculi, 
to Zeta Herculi. In binoculars, the cluster will appear as a fuzzy, unresolved snowball. In a telescope, you should start to be able to resolve several of the stars in the cluster. M13 is made up of hundreds of thousands of gravitationally bound stars and is more than 84 light years across. It is located nearly 22,000 light years away from us. One of my favorite asterisms in the sky is well-placed September evenings, Colander 399, also known as Brocky's Cluster and more commonly known as the coat hanger. It is easy to see with binoculars and it is one of the few objects in the sky that actually look like its name. To find the coat hanger, sweep with your binoculars just off the tail of the constellation Sagitta. The cluster, which is not really a cluster at all, is just a random alignment of fifth through seventh magnitude stars in the shape of a coat hanger that will jump right out at you. Magnitude is how we determine how bright a celestial object is. The lower the number, the brighter it is. For example, the faintest stars that you can see from a remote location under a dark sky are about magnitude 6.5. The star Vega is magnitude 0. Sirius, the brightest star in the night sky, is magnitude negative 1. The full moon is magnitude negative 13, and the sun is magnitude negative 27. Pluto is magnitude 14, extremely faint. The Hubble Space Telescope can image objects as faint as 32nd magnitude. The magnitude scale is logarithmic, so a first magnitude star is about two and a half times fainter than a zero magnitude star. A fifth magnitude object, like Uranus, is about 100 times fainter than Vega, which is magnitude zero. I hope that you don't find this too confusing. Getting back to the sky, the dim constellation Vulpecula, the fox, holds a lovely gem known as M27, the Dumbbell Nebula. The Dumbbell is a planetary nebula, the remnants of a star that went nova. The star puffed off its outer layers about 10,000 years ago. In a larger telescope, you can still see the central star that created the nebula. The central star, a white dwarf, is one of the largest white dwarfs that we have ever observed. The dumbbell lies about 1,360 light years away from Earth. To locate the dumbbell, sweep the skies about a quarter of the way from the tip of Sagitta to the bright double star Albireo in Cygnus. Speaking of Albireo, this is a beautiful double star, also known as Beta Cygni. This double is easy to find and separate, and is made up of a bright yellow star and a fainter blue companion. Any telescope should be able to easily split the pair. Try defocusing the image a bit. This will make the colors a lot more obvious to see. One of the true celestial gems in the fall sky is the great Andromeda galaxy, M31. To find M31, look for the great square of Pegasus. From the bright star Alpharats, you'll see a chain of bright stars going to your left. Hop two stars over, and then go one star equidistant in the same direction, and you'll be at the Andromeda galaxy. If you're under dark skies away from bright lights, 
you should see the galaxy with the unaided eye as a large fuzzy patch. The galaxy is very easy to see in binoculars. With a telescope, you'll want to use your lowest possible magnification, as this is a big object. The best views of M31 will be with binoculars. Under dark skies, you'll also see its satellite galaxies, M32 and M110. The Andromeda Galaxy is one of the nearest galaxies to us, located about 2.5 million light-years away and spanning 220,000 light-years in diameter. M31 is estimated to contain more than 1 trillion stars, that's with a T, nearly double that of our galaxy, the Milky Way. Astronomers are predicting that in 4 to 5 billion years, the Andromeda Galaxy will collide with the Milky Way, but that's a long time before we need to worry. In the south, relatively low in the sky, you should see the constellation Sagittarius. Although Sagittarius is supposed to represent an archer, to most people it resembles a teapot. If you're away from city lights and the moon is not in the sky, the Milky Way, our galaxy, looks like steam rising out of the teapot. I encourage you to sweep along the Milky Way with binoculars, as there are many different objects to be seen and enjoyed. But even if you don't know your way around the sky, I urge you to download a star chart app. Go outside, look, take in the beauty that is out there for all of us to enjoy, and keep looking keep trying to see more. Before we wrap things up, I want to dedicate this first podcast to Carolyn Shoemaker, who passed away recently on August 13th. Mrs. Shoemaker discovered or co-discovered 32 comets and more than 800 asteroids. One comet in particular, Shoemaker-Levy 9, may have been one of the most studied comets in history. The Stringer of Prawls comet collided with Jupiter in 1994. It was observed by the Hubble Space Telescope and thousands of ground-based telescopes as well. Carolyn's husband, Gene, who passed away due to injuries from a car accident in 1997, was responsible for teaching geology and conducting field exercises with the Apollo astronauts. Carolyn, who considered herself a reluctant astronomer, will be missed by all of us for the many contributions that she made to the field of astronomy. That's all for this episode. I want to thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope that you've found our time together to be fun and helpful. If you have questions or episode suggestions, please email us at astroguypodcast at gmail.com. If you're not already a member, please join the Astro Guy Podcast group on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash astroguypod. You'll find other members, videos, blogs, and other useful information there for your enjoyment. You can also visit our YouTube channel, The Astro Guy Podcast, for past episodes and other surprises. Since we're just starting out, there won't be much content, but stay tuned. I promise there'll be more coming. Future episodes, many of which will have video components, will feature things like what's up in the sky each month. There will be dedicated looks at certain objects, astronomers, and other things astronomical. We'll explore topics 
such as learning the constellations, astrophotography on a budget, and many, many other topics. These will be interspersed with interviews with both amateur and professional astronomers on a variety of interesting, educational, and fun topics. Thank you again for listening, and may your skies be clear. Carpe noctum. Seize the night. I'm Wayne Zool, and this was the Astro Guy Podcast. Thank you for listening. As always, your questions, comments, and suggestions are welcome. Keep wondering. Keep your eyes on the sky. Have fun. Carpe Noctum. Seize the night.